What a great Savior we have. Amen? Let us be enlightened by the Spirit as we read and listen to his holy word. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them, each uh, laid each half over the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and he, behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back and hear in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Oh, how good it is to be in God's house with God's people. Let's pray together. Father, we come with a long list of concerns, of needs, of burdens, of doubts, of fears. You are our only hope. You are our only strength. In every matter, no matter how large it may appear to us or how small, in this gathering today, where there are specific things that haunt us, each and every one, that cause us, Lord, to tremble as we face each and every day, things that cause us, Lord, to doubt you and your ways. 
You know the intricate details, all the needs that we have. We pause now to think about them, Lord, and to utter them to you, not because you need to be informed, but because we need to be reminded that our hope is in you and you alone. We live in a materialistic world that's keenly focused on stuff. We're creatures obsessed with comfort and pleasure and convenience. We're also well acquainted with real and serious concerns. Our temptation is to always find a fix, to look for the cure, to cry out for the remedy. Teach us and equip us to trust you and your perfect ways. Enable us to rest in your love and your best desires for us. Increase our faith. Faith that is resting in you and only you as the person, Lord, not in what you provide or what we think you do not provide, but in you and your ways. And may we not be distracted or discouraged. Fill us with love and trust for you that, Lord, enables us to endure all things, that your glory may be evident may be displayed through us or that others may be pointed to you. Now give us ears to hear and hearts that believe readily, eagerly, believing that translates into obeying. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Genesis chapter 15, an infamous passage of Scripture I did a little research this week and discovered that Chapman University in, 19, in uh, 2021 surveyed adults about 95 fears, 95 fears. Just think about making a list of fears that long. And the results indicate that a majority of Americans suffer from tremendous fear. Many, perhaps even most, as high as 85% of the population, live with some sense of impending doom. In all fairness, this survey was conducted on the heels of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And lots of different players were involved in making sure that we all feared. But with that said, this survey also follows trends over time and identifies new fears as they emerge. This survey represents for us insight into what makes Americans fearful. Fears are ranked by the percent of Americans who reported being afraid or being very afraid. Here were the top 10. Number one, 62% of the people fear corrupt government officials. 60% Fear or are afraid of loved ones becoming seriously ill. 59% fear Russia using nuclear weapons. 58% fear people they love dying. 56% fear or are greatly afraid of the U.S. becoming involved in another world war. 54% fear pollution of drinking water. 53% fear not having enough money for the future. 53% believe 
or are afraid of economic and financial collapse. 52% believe pollution of oceans, rivers, and tablets are to be feared. And 51% said they fear or are afraid of biological warfare. A general overview of America's top 10 fears in 2022 suggests that Americans' fears center on five main topics. Corrupt government officials, harm to a loved one, war, environmental concerns, and economic concerns. Now, fear in various forms affects and impacts each and every one of us every day. In fact, our conduct, the way we go about doing business day in and day out, very often is affected by our attitudes, confidences, or lack thereof. Even those of us who follow Christ, who profess faith in Christ, struggle with some form of doubt. Things where we have trouble putting full confidence in God. Abraham is known for being a man of faith. In fact, some would call him the father of faith as we know it. Yet he struggled with doubts and fears. We've already seen evidence of that in the last week or so. He's known for having struggles with fear, with confidence in God, believing God at His Word. In fact, it's one of four major points in this text this morning. We're going to look at Abram's struggle. We're going to look at how God spoke to him. We're going to see how Abram acted, how, how he believes God, trusted God. And we're going to see how God guarantees what he says he will do. So let's begin by thinking about Abram's struggle. Now, it's not spelled out explicitly here for us, but he's apparently wrestling with doubt and fear. How do we know? It says in verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying what? Saying what? Fear not. not. That's a clue, right? That's a clue. Abram is struggling with some fear, with some doubt in his life. So much so that the Lord saw a need to approach him directly about it. After these things, after what things? Well, we remember last week, Lot was kidnapped by a ruthless alliance of kings. He, uh, Abram conducted this unlikely rescue and victory and brought Lot and all of the possessions and people that belonged to the kings of Jordan back into the area. All's well that ends well, right? But Abram knew that he knew that these people he pursued and that he engaged were ruthless, they were aggressive, they were greedy, and in his mind he had to be thinking, these guys are not going to rest, they're going to retaliate, right? When they regroup, they're coming back and continue this battle. Highly probable in his mind, I'm thinking, that there's going to be further conflict. Abram wasn't He wasn't called to be a man of military means. He wasn't called to be a warrior. And that had to be plaguing his mind as well. Secondly, he possessed a great promise from God. On paper, right? God had promised Abram what? I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to make your name great. 
Now, Abram is north of 75 years of age at this point. Sarah is north of 65 years of age. He had to be thinking, I don't have a child. I don't know how you're going to fulfill this promise that you've made. He had to be feeling just a little bit vulnerable, don't you think? Maybe he's even fearing for God's own reputation. God, you promised. You promised this. You've had this big plan, but can I really trust you to pull it off? After all, the odds are stacked against you. Doubt and unbelief is a persistent challenge to spiritual life, to spiritual growth, to spiritual fruit among spiritual people. Let's think about some examples. Now, we've said Genesis is a book about beginnings, the beginning of creation, the beginning of man, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sin, the beginning of Israel, the beginning of the promise of redemption from God. As Moses is writing, he's writing to Israel, right? And Israel has come out of Egypt. They are now wandering in the wilderness, and Moses is writing the Pentateuch to be handed down. And he's thinking here about Abram and Abram's doubt, how he struggled with fear. He's the one they all look to as their model, right? He's the one they all look to and had sitting on this pedestal. And Moses is saying, but Abram had struggles. Abram had doubts. Moses had to be transparent at this point and say, you know what? I've had doubts. I've had concerns. Well, we all have to go back to the burning bush, right? When God came to Moses and said, hey, I want you to go, and I've got an assignment for you. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to liberate my people. And Moses, what did he do? He said, oh, yes, Lord, I've been praying for this day. Sign me up. I'm ready to go. No. He began to argue with God. He began to be, express his reluctance. I'm not the guy. I can't do this. Uh, haven't you been watching my life? I've already failed at this. And he's speaking to people who are going to be well acquainted with doubts and fears and failures. The people of Israel. Why? How often do we see it as we read We read the story of Israel after coming out of Egypt, after witnessing these great plagues, the move of God to liberate them, and yet they still doubted him. Time after time, they grumbled against God. God's brought us out here to kill us. God's brought us out here to let us die. God's brought us out here to make a mockery of us. Even to the point of when they got to the promised land. You remember they sent spies in to check out this land. This is what motivated them, right? A land that is yours. A land what? Filled with milk and honey. It is so plush. So filled with provision. And when the spies came back, every one of the spies said what? It's right. It is. It's, a, it's an incredible land. It is filled with everything. But yet 10 of them saw the giants and said, you know what? We don't think this should be advised. Now, not to mention they just kicked the one sole world power on the stage in Egypt, right? I mean, that battle hasn't even cooled yet. It's still in the main headlines around the world, and they're scared of a few giants. 
God has said, I've got a land for you. It's an incredible land. And the spies confirmed that what God has said is true. But we, didn't, we think that's where God goes off the rails. He doesn't quite know what he's doing. He just doesn't understand. We're not fighters. Now, these people were well acquainted with doubt and fear, as are you and I. There, you know it's true, right? There are things that God's put before you, and he said, I want you to follow me in this and trust me in this. And you've said, I'm not sure I can trust you. I'm not sure I can trust you to tithe, to give generously out of my resources. I barely have enough to make ends meet as it is. I'm not sure I can trust you to have a conversation with my neighbor that lives across the street about Christ. I think it'll be embarrassing. I think they will just reject me. I already know how they're going to respond, and there's no point in me even bringing it up. Hmm. God's word came to Abram. Abram's struggling. God is faithful. He comes to him with a word. God operates on a faith economy. He speaks truth that's not necessarily visible. He asks us to believe things that are in the future. And he gives us the confidence to do that in order that we can act as though they've already taken place. This is what God does. This is how he operates. Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, what? Go from your country. Go from your country. And what did Abram do? He went from his country, right? He followed the Lord's bidding. He didn't have any photographs. He didn't have any visual evidence. He took the Lord at his word and he obeyed. We remember in Genesis 1, God's what? All through the creation story, what's the one ringing thing that you hear over and over and over? Take a shot. God said, and God said, and God said. God is a speaking God, and he speaks things that can't be seen or touched and asks us to follow him. This is the faith economy that he operates in. And we read verses like John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's not going to change. Revelation 19, 13, describing Christ's return, says he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. Maybe one of the most important passages to us here today, Romans chapter 10. Listen, beginning with verse 8, but what does it say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, what, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. The word of Christ. Adam's specific or God's specific word to Abram here is, I will protect you. I'm a shield. This was evidenced in his in his uh, foray into uh, Damascus to pursue Kid Olaomar. He won the victory. He was outnumbered. He he was on he was on the visitors field or the, the home field. He was the visitor on the home field. He, he didn't have any advantages, and yet God delivered him. God protected him and delivered him. He says, and also I will give you a very great reward. Abram had refused the plunder from that, from that military victory. He said, I, I'm not going to take anything lest anyone be able to take credit for it except for God. And God had, was honored by that, and God now says, I'm going to bless you. There's going to be a great reward for you. So what's he saying to Abraham? He's saying, listen, stop looking through a human lens for human solutions and human methods. This one, this individual, Eleazar, that you've so conveniently pointed to, is not the one through which the promise will come. I'm going to bring a promise through your loins. The seed that I will bring through you, your very own son. Look toward the heavens. Number the stars if you're able. Your offspring, your seed will be like dust, like the grains of sand on the seashore. Have you thought about that analogy? I know all of you have been to the beach, right? I hear it week after week after week. Just sit and look at a, you know, square yard and try to figure out how many grains of sand there are. Not to mention all the beaches on all the shores. And this is what God is saying. This is how he's describing the blessing that is coming through Abram. How difficult must this have been? If you're Abram and God's telling you these things, remind you he's 75 years of age or older. Your wife is 65 years of age or older. He says, Lord, I had a kinsman. Lot's father is dead. I became his adopted father. He is my son. He could, he could suffice. God didn't even mention Lot. He's gone. This is not who you will rest in. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance, the confidence, the absolute convinced attitude of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things that are not yet seen. It's an inward conviction of something hoped for that has not become reality as yet, but acting as though it's already reality. Hebrews 11.6 adds this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hence, God's faith economy. He doesn't need a gold standard. He is the gold. He is the one to be trusted. Are you currently living a life where everything is known, where everything is proven, where everything is tangible and touchable? What, what is there in your life that you don't have the answers for, that you don't have the response for, that you don't have the strategy to navigate? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're only doing what has been proven or what can be known, if you're not being challenged to trust God's word alone, then I ask you, based upon the scripture, are you living a life that's pleasing to God? Loaded question, right? Just write that down. Put it in your prayer journal and start praying over it this week. Where in my life am I being asked to believe God? That if God doesn't show up, he is my safety net, and I'm sure to crash and burn without him. Listen, God is honored by such praying. God is honored by such obedience. Now, I'm not talking about doing stupid things that you aspire to do. I'm talking about being obedient to what God puts in front of us. Most of us want every question answered, every proof given, and we're often paralyzed when God asks us to take him at his word. The skeptics say, prove it, and I'll believe it. But God says, believe it, and I will prove it. So what does Abram do? Abram believed God. Question asked, question answered. Abram acted. He believed it. Is this redundant? Hasn't Abram already believed God in chapter 12? God said, go, and Abram went. He did believe God. He believed God to leave Ur, but maybe he was tired of living in Ur. I would be, wouldn't you? He believed God to build altars, but let's be honest. He'd already failed down there with Abimelech, right? Building an altar wasn't a great step or leap of faith. He'd already believed God to call on his name. Well, he'd already messed up. Maybe he didn't have anything else, any other answers waiting in the wings at this point. I'm just throwing those out there. This is different. What happens in this passage is different. He's asking him to believe in the future seed, not in the masses of descendants that might come from this. He's asking him to put his faith and trust in the promised one who will come, the Christ, the Savior. And you say, well, there's no mention of that here. Ah, look, the Bible is great, isn't it? Look with me in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. 
And just limber up your fingers. We're going to do a little Bible study here that's going to help you see what wasn't written by Moses is still contained here in God's Word. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's the verse we usually lift out and we, we hook on to, don't we? By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, speaking of Abram, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. But these all died. All these died. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Matthew 1.1, the book of genealogy, it says, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But listen to the words Jesus uttered as he was being challenged by the Pharisees. John chapter 8, verse 56, he said to them, your father Abraham rejoiced. And what? That he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What's Abraham looking at? The promise has crept into his heart. God has given him the ability. He has illumined his vision to see. He's not trusting in many descendants. And he's not trusting in a land with borders here in this world. He's looking to the promise from God, the one who will come and bring redemption, the one who is making a place where we will dwell with him forever. Believed here is the Old Testament equivalent to pistio, which we find in the New Testament, so often describing faith. The basic root here speaks to firmness or certainty. It's often used with a preposition like as to believe. It means to accept a report or a statement as true. But it's more than that. It's not just giving an intellectual assent to this as being true. But it's believing that moves me forward to obey what I know to be true. 
That's what's being described about Abram here. Not only accepting this, this promise from God as true, but acting on that belief moving forward. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. God accepts him on the basis of righteousness that he declared for Abram. Now, we could get into the grammatical flow here that would tell us a little bit more, but Abram's belief is not based upon things that precede it necessarily. It's there because God has placed it there. God has declared him righteous, counted him righteous, and now believing is an outward display of what has taken place inside of him. Paul helps us with this. Romans 4, verses 3 through 5. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Skip down to verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the Lord, of the, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted as righteousness. The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who has delivered us up for our trespasses and raised us for our justification. Natural man is not able to believe the gospel. Natural man is not able to faith God. The Spirit must quicken the heart. Make him or her a new creature. And belief becomes the outward demonstration of that inward change. Now I want you to see God's solemn guarantee. Abram asks something here, and it's very interesting to me. We studied this in Sunday school this morning in Mark chapter 9. There was an encounter between Jesus and a young boy that was suffering with convulsions. It was a demonic activity from what's implied in scripture. And they had come, he and his dad had come to the disciples and, and asked them to ask them to heal him and they could not do it. And Jesus showed up and they were all frustrated and, and it was just a, it was a very stressful situation. And the father was desperate and he said, look, if you can, would you heal my son? And Jesus kind of rebuked him. He said, what do you mean if I can? He's not, he's, not, he's not being um, sarcastic in that way. He's, he's challenging 
his lack of faith here because he says it, but he doesn't, he's not sure he believes it. He's not sure he can believe it. So he's struggling with that. He wants to believe. He thinks he believes, but his believing's pretty shaky. And so he says, I believe. Would you help me believe? What an incredible statement of theology. You see, we can't believe on our own. It's God who gives the believing, right? He gives us the ability, the gift to believe. But Abraham is asking the same thing here. He says, Lord, tell me, how can I really believe that what you're saying is true? How this is really going to happen? How can I believe? I hear Abram asking the same question. I believe, but would you help me believe? Would you help me believe better, more? I'm acknowledging, Lord, that there's still some shaky areas in my believing. It's not pure and solid as it should be. He's struggling. He's struggling to trust God. He's struggling to believe that God is trustworthy, even after all he's been through. And isn't that where you are? Don't you face the same challenges? God has done so much time and time again, and each of us have experienced him coming through and proving himself that he is trustworthy. And yet, the next time we face one of those big giants, we know we can believe him, but we're quite sure. Can I really trust God? Can I trust and can I trust him? Maybe you're not like I am, but that's the way I am. How am I to know that I shall possess such a land, he says. There are powerful and vindictive enemies that are lurking out there, probably conspiring even now, getting ready to launch themselves my way. I have no children. You keep telling me I'm going to have lots of children. I'm 70, 80 years of age, and I don't even have an heir yet. God, I'm not sure I can trust you. You're talking a big game, but when am I going to start to really see things happen? If I'm going to die after a long and fruitful time on this earth and not even see the fulfillment of these promises, how can I believe? Tell me. I believe. Help my shaky unbelieving. His honesty and transparency is pleasing to the Lord. And God says, come here, Moses. Come here, Abram. <laughs> I want to I show you something. And it's one of the most strange and puzzling things that we could ever imagine seeing, right? He says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. He tells him to take three heifers, three female goats, three years old, uh, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, young pigeon, and to cut them up, tear them in pieces, and line them up. Now, we haven't had any sacrifice up to this point. 
But in Abram's day, in this particular day, in the ancient Near East, when two people came together in a contract or a covenant, you know, you and I, we go and we get paper, don't we? We get, we get a stack of papers, and we're asked to read all this. It says, this is what you're agreeing to do. And then there's always the stipulations that if you don't do these things, this is what's going to happen. We will take you to jail. We will prosecute you. We will liquidate your assets, and we will take what belongs to us. But in this day, they didn't have paper. They didn't sign contracts like this. What they did was they came together, and they would take these animals and rip them apart, and they would walk through them together, and they would pledge to each other, if I break this contract, may this be done to me. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? It's a pretty graphic and visual way to communicate your pledge to one another. And so God does this with Abram. He takes these animals, they tear them apart, cut them apart. They're there. Now, it's interesting. God doesn't ask Abram to walk with him through this. Why? Because there's nothing in here that Abram can do. There's nothing here that Abram can do. His, his promise would be worthless at this point. He's being set up for failure. God says, the only way these promises are coming true is if I do them. <laughs> There's no one to swear by greater than me. Right? And so God went through the pieces. And he pledged. And he says, essentially... If what I'm saying doesn't come true, may this be done to me. That's the promise I'm making. That's how you know you can believe, Abram. That if I don't come through, I'm no longer God. I'm no longer Jehovah. I'm no longer the God who is sovereign over all things. Now the covenant will be under great threat. It won't be easy. It won't be comfortable for you. The birds of prey came immediately. Abram had to shoo them away. The darkness fell and great distress fell on Abram. And then we see this imagery of a smoking pot, which was a clay vessel that was used to carry hot coals in. You know, if you were a nomadic people, the most valuable thing you had going for you was your fire. All of you have watched these survival shows. You know that's the thing that's important, right? If you don't have fire, you don't eat. So they would, they would carry hot coals in, in this little pot so that they could start a fire, and they fed it as they went along. And he says this torch goes through. And I thought, what in the world is this imagery talking about? Well, he is, he is doing several things, I think, but he's clearly pointing to himself as the pillar of fire who would lead them. He makes reference here to their bondage in Egypt. So what's he saying? He's saying, Abram, it's going to look like day after day after day, generation after generation, it's going to look like that it's not happening. There's going to be some great tumult and there's going to be some great challenges that come about that's going to make it appear as though it's of all a failure that the promise is not happening 
You're a nomadic people. Uh, Scripture even references their stay in Egypt as being in a furnace, in a hot furnace, tribulation, affliction. But God says, you'll notice that as you're going through this in this cauldron of heat and difficulty and challenge and affliction, I, as the pillar of fire, go with you. It'll happen because I'm bringing you through as I go through it with you. God appears as a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Now, Moses' audience would have gotten this, would they not? They would have understood this because it hadn't been long that they had watched the pillar of fire as he led them away from Egypt toward the promised land. The journey is going to be long and difficult, and it'll seem that the promise cannot or will not be completed. But this covenant that I'm making with you today is my guarantee that it will come to pass. It will come to pass. Even though you won't live to see its conclusion. The ceremony points to the ultimate sign that God uses to guarantee his promise. Sacrifice was coming, which would be the means through which God gave his people to symbolize coming and restoring, having reconciliation with God throughout the ages. But this is pointing forward to what Christ will do, how Christ will go to the cross and ultimately become the new covenant, right? These animals portray the grueling sacrifice, the path to reconciliation with God. But an endless parade of animals will not accomplish for us what we need. No man can accomplish it. But at Calvary, Christ, the seed of Abraham, the Son of God, suffered, bled, and died. And there the covenant between us is established, truly sealed for all of eternity. Like Abram, our only hope to trust is in Christ's finished work. That's what Abram believed. He believed in the finished work of Christ. We're going to struggle We're going to fall. We live in a broken world and we're still broken creatures. But Christ came to take the punishment that you and I deserved and he came to keep the covenant that you and I can't keep. Do you believe this gospel? Is this the gospel you believe? Or do you believe in a gospel where you're the hero, where you're coming through, where you're going to make it happen? where you're going to achieve all the things that you think you deserve. Believe this gospel. It's your only hope. It's the only way. It's the only way to reconciliation with God, to repent of your sin and trust in Him and Him alone. Let us pray. Father, we thank You and bless You today for who You are. What an incredible, what an incredible thing, work that you're doing. Lord, we're grateful for those who have gone before us, like Abram, who you have worked in and through their lives and left us a witness, a testimony 
And I pray that, Lord, your truth would go forth. Your word would come forth in power into each of our lives. And that you would, uh, Lord, make us, declare us your righteous people. That we might live lives that express and display that belief, that faith, that trust in you. That others might be drawn to you. Lord, that you might be glorified, that you might be honored. Help us, Lord, in our weaknesses, in the places where we despair, where we groan, where we grumble, where we complain. Lord, where we are intimidated and fearful. Help our unbelief that the world may recognize the one, Lord, who is working in us and through us. For we ask it in your name.